0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. We have been in a series uh, entitled, Are Are We There Yet? and it's discussing the book of Exodus, not in, in brutal detail, but in a general sense the highlights, the key points that are important. We're examining the people of God, the Israelites, as they move from a tribal structure into a nation um, that will suit the purposes of God. We've mentioned in the last week or two, in light of events that have taken place, there is a difference between the secular state of Israel as a political entity and the Jewish people as Israel that we see in scripture. But that's in no way to take away from um, the, the genuine aspect of anti-Semitism In fact, I again would argue that the Jewish people being God's chosen people by whom his blessing of salvation is going to come through the person of Jesus Christ who comes to those people, that that has made them a special target uh, over the centuries and over the millennia. Satan is not thrilled about that. Um, And for the record, he's not too crazy about you guys either, okay? Um, And so there's a darkness, I think, that comes in that way. Uh, in the same way that we should watch what's happening politically, I would also say as we get into the study today, too, to not uh, extrapolate and make assumptions of what we see, say, of Egypt or of other countries that we're seeing here and apply that to a current-day scenario uh, at all. Um, having said all that, um, today we're talking about a question of trust. A question of trust. The term trust means... Um, to have confidence, a fidelity, um, a solidness. One of the reasons why we call a dog Fido sometimes is because the original term of trust is rooted in the word fide from uh, the Latin. And so we talk about Fido as our trusted, ever faithful friend. That's all caught up in this word trust. It means solid, uh, strong, uh, like a rock. So as we get into this conversation today, I have a few questions for you as a group here today. Um, How many of you have ever taken public transport, a bus, a subway, whatever the case may be? All right, school bus, anything like that. All right, and then there are those of us that would have perhaps taken, how many of you have taken like an, an Uber or a Lyft before? Okay? Now think about that for a minute. In public transport, you're getting into a vehicle and the person who's driving it, you don't know if they're drunk or sober. You have no idea who they are. Now, in public transport, you hope at least there's been some vetting, and I know Uber and Lyft is trying to do it. I, I take Uber and Lyft as well too. But with there, we're going in one step further. It's not a public vehicle; it's a private vehicle, and you walk and get into that vehicle and trust they're going to drive you someplace without killing you in, the, in some dark spot elsewhere. A couple of weeks back, I had to take my car and, and drop it off for a tire fix or whatever else, and I step outside the store there, and I uh, other people were tied up at the time, so I ordered a lift vehicle, I think it was, and, and I'm on uh, Mac or Little Mac there, and, and, and uh, Garf or Grashit there and um, I'm, I'm tracking it on my thing and it's, it's supposed to be coming, it's coming down the street so I step outside and I'm waiting for a while and as I'm waiting I'm watching and some cop has pulled over a vehicle just outside of there and other cars are whizzing by and I'm waiting and i waiting. It was supposed to be two minutes and now it's been 15 minutes and I'm looking at my app again and I'm realizing that the car's not moved. I'm looking at and then I'm looking at the cop and the car pulled over there and realizing that's my lift. <laughs> and I'm like, suddenly I'm not very excited. <laughs> and they eventually pull in And again, I'm like, oh, it was a false. It was a mistake. And, you know, they didn't say I had this. They pulled me over because of something. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Get me home. I'm pretty sure you're an ax murderer. But, um, you know, we trust people. We'll step into situations without even thinking of certain trust. But when it comes to God, suddenly we have all these caveats, all these things he must prove of his existence, his worth, and his reality. I, I, uh, I, I've got a, a couple of quirks, but one particular one is I, I'm a rock climber. I love climbing rock face, I love free climbing. I'm a little, little slower to do that nowadays, but I still love doing that. And I love getting up high on a cliff or high up on a rocky area and looking over um, for miles in the distance. I, I love that type of a thing. But here's the weird thing, here's the quirk. I'm afraid of heights. No, I'm okay, I love climbing up. I do not like climbing back down. Yeah, because my perspective is completely different. Okay, I went on the CN Tower in Toronto, and you can step out on some glass and 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 look down. And there's just glass, and it's like this is my personal view of hell. Okay, right there. There was a, still is, I believe, a tourist attraction in Chicago, Illinois. In fact, um, it's the Willis Tower and Skydeck, and the Willis Tower is the third tallest building I've been told. At least in 2019, it was of the western hemisphere, sorry. It's like 1,430 feet up in the air. 108 floors. On the 103rd floor, evidently, there is something called the sky deck, and it's the spectacular 360-degree view of the city. On a clear day, they say the visibility stretches out over 50 miles into four states. That's fantastic. And if that's enough to really wire you up, you can step out onto one of several glass viewing boxes called the ledge. Right there, you just lost me, okay? Each of these extend four, a little over four feet or so outside the building, and they're made of one and a half inches of laminated glass. And they can hold 10,000 pounds of weight. Okay, that should be good for most of us. 2019, June, a woman and two children stepped out onto the ledge, and the glass splintered into 1,000 pieces. And your first thought is they plunged to their deaths. No. In fact, the officials are saying everything was okay. They said that no one was in danger because the protective layer did what it was supposed to do. It was a laminated piece of glass. So it splintered, but it didn't fall through. I feel much better now if I was on that thing. Okay. Step out, it, it shatters. I'm never going up in an elevator again. Trust. How does that get established in a people? Who or what do you trust? There are people that are in this community that I've known for 35 years. And there are individuals in that group that I know I can trust. I've counted on them for all those years. The Jewish people in Egypt had only known capricious gods of Egypt, over 100. They had yet to really meet and understand the God of their fathers in Yahweh. But somehow this God has now freed them from their slavery. He's liberated them. This one God, this only true living God, has defeated all the hundred capricious gods of Egypt. And now they're on the march. The, the ten plagues have hit, the final Passover that, that, that kills all the firstborn of Egypt but preserves by the sacrifice of a lamb all the firstborn of Israel. They're now walking out. They're no longer slaves, they're free. And one passage of scripture we'll see is that, is that they walked out with their hands in their like defiantly like we're, we're, we're out of here. We're, we've overcome you guys and we're free. And so they're starting to shake off that slave mentality. In fact, they're a little bit cocky and a little bit arrogant almost at this point coming out. And, and understandably so. So and then we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter for God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Okay, what's going on here? There's a route, if you have your, your map in your head here from Egypt, that if you follow the coastal route of the Mediterranean, it was called the, the Way of the Sea. And, and you would go right up that coastal route and it was a straight, quick trip to the Promised Land. But God doesn't send them by the shorter route. Instead, God sends them, as one old rock group said, by the long way home. Why? Well, along that route were a series of Egyptian fortifications. They would have encountered that all the way. In addition to that, they would have very quickly arrived at the Promised Land. And again, they had just come out of slavery. They didn't even have weapons, they didn't have the tools, nor had they been equipped for warfare. And the concern was that they would face opposition whether from the Egyptian fortifications or from the early time in Canaan and they would have turned and gone back. There needs to be a time to develop that slave mentality out of the way. There needs some time to develop a trust and a relationship and an identity as a nation. And so he sends them the long way home. I want to suggest to you that there are going to be times that you're looking for the short way to resolve whatever situation you're having. But that short way is not the way that God wants you to go because it will not develop you and it could lead to disaster for you. And that you need to develop trust when he says, no, it's not going to be the short, easy, quick route. You're going the long way. You're going to get home. I promise you that. But it's going to be a long way. Continuing on. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. How cool is that? You've got a pillar of cloud, and all you have to do is follow this pillar of cloud. And at night you could even travel because there's a pillar of fire. Any of you ever use Google Maps or any such thing or ask Siri for direction only to find yourself hung up. There's been a series of stories of this. People that have literally gone off bridges that didn't exist into the water because Google, they trusted, told them that's the way to go. Years ago, I was doing a, a wedding for a friend down in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I think we were at a hotel at the time, and I wasn't exactly sure where to go to the church, and so I put in my map sequence, and I'm following it, and it's going along, and I, I, know, I know the general direction, so it's going that general direction, but then it got strange, and I started to go, instead of across a river, I'm supposed to take this road, and I keep going up a mountain. It keeps curving around and curling around. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's a bridge I don't know about, and then we get back in, and I eventually drive into the driveway of this lone house on top of this mountain, and I'm realizing this isn't the church. And I realized, and the thing is, completely messed me up. There was supposed to be a bridge. It wasn't there, so I had to, to instead reroute, go back on down, find the bridge, get over, and go that way. We trust Google. We trust a map system. We trust some weird chick named Siri. <laughs> Before we trust God. They had God's presence in a cloud. By night, pillar of fire. Didn't lead them astray. All they had to do was Follow. Sometimes that's just what we need to do is just follow. I, I won't put the rest on the screen, but, but I'll, I'll throw it out to you. It continues on, and, and at one point in time as they're marching along, not the short way, but the long way, it says they then ordered the Israelites to turn back. So they're breaking free, and he says, no, come back, backtrack a bit. Okay, wait a minute. The Egyptians are probably not happy, and we want to get as far away from them as possible. Why would we possibly turn back? not only turn back, but he's going to have them camp by a a site of water. And so in essence, they're trapped. Let's pick it up, Exodus chapter 14, verse 3 and 4. God says, then Pharaoh will think. The Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart and he'll chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. All the stories you see in all the movies, like they're at the shoreline and they're panicked, but it doesn't mention the fact that they actually had broken free. He turns them back. That it didn't surprise God. He set this up to trap Pharaoh. We think we're trapped, but he's actually laying a trap for Pharaoh. A friend asked me between services about the hardening of the heart, like, why is God doing this to Pharaoh? And I would argue to you that, that, that it wasn't so much something God did as something he removed. There's God's direct grace that he intervenes in our lives, and there's his general grace, rainfall, crops growing, etc. I think in Pharaoh's heart, he removed both elements of grace so that Pharaoh was now free to be completely in his own agent and his own direction, which was a hard-hearted, vicious ruler. So God lays a trap for him. It felt like a trap for the Israelites, but it's one that he was laying for them, for the Pharaoh. In Exodus 14, chapter, verses 8 and 9, it says, He hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased them uh, after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses, and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. Now, chariots were like like miniature tanks of their day. They could have um, uh, um, cutting devices at the wheels hanging out that could slice down the legs of people as they're going along. They provide a stable platform. There would be one guy to be the driver, another guy would be an archer, and so he could maneuver and, and target people along the way. And there'd be another commander, often in, inside there, that would direct what's taking place. The Bible tells us there were 600 of these chariots, 600 of these tanks, and all the people that were following after. Remember these are the people that walked out with defiance? Yeah. But they're not going the short way. They're going the long way. And along the way, they're turned back. Now they're trapped on the side. There's some purpose in this, but they're not catching it. In chapter 14, verses 10 and 12, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. No defiance now. It's more like... "Mm." They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses in a very sarcastic fashion, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why is that sarcastic? Because the entire industry of Egypt was grave making. Three-fourths of the land in Egypt were grave sites. And so they're sitting here thinking, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? knowing that that was the massive industry there, that you had to bring us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert? Have you ever noticed after you've gone through some difficult situation that, that your memory of it gets a little foggy? That relationship that was so toxic suddenly wasn't all that bad. That job that was so horrendous, well, it was good points. Our memory gets fuzzy and it gets hazy and we want to turn back instead of going forward into what God has for us. We'd rather have slavery than freedom, security rather than God's grace. And so here they are, they're, they're wriggling on the end of the, the hook. Uh, they're the bait for this trap. And, and when you're a bait for a trap, and there's lots of situations of military law enforcement where they set a small group of people to, to entice the enemy to come in and then they're going to wipe out the enemy. But it's no fun being in that, that position as you're wriggling on the end of the hook. It takes a lot of trust to do that. A lot of confidence in the people that are on your team. As they go along, Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Moses answers the people, says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. Stand firm. And you'll see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. There are many times in Scripture when we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, after all else, to stand There's a time to be offensive, if you will, but most times it's not even a matter of being defensive. It's sufficient just to stand, just not to be moved, to not surrender the moment when all else is done. Stand. It goes on. It says the problem you see today, the Egyptians, the problems you see today, you're never going to see them again if you'll just stand. The problem you're having today, you're not going to see tomorrow, but you need to stand. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. As we go into the scripture again, we find that passage in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I'm God. He's developing trust in them. Be still. Stand, be still. Know that I'm God. Trust in the Lord. Okay, so they're standing there, the, 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 the Egyptians are coming in, and, and as they're coming on in, um, uh, the waters are there. What are they supposed to do? The next is chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. The Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tells the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I had a good friend of mine, a Jewish friend, who's probably actually in conflict now in Israel, um, who one time told me this passage, and he, he, he put it in a somewhat humorous way to me at least. He says, you know, you read this passage, and, and, and basically it's saying something pretty startling. What God's saying here, in essence, is this, there's a time to pray, and there's a time to act. Stop praying. That sounds a little startling. There are times we know what God wants us to do or what he wants us to set aside and we want to still meditate or pray or ruminate on it. And he's saying, no, this is not the time for that. There's a time to act. You know someone has a need, you don't need to pray over that. You need to act in that moment of time and meet the need. They're sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting. They're told they're supposed to walk into the water. There's a a rabbinical tradition, an old Jewish tradition of a guy named Nakshan and um, it is said that when they were facing this water and, and I'm not getting into the details whether it's the Sea of Rees or the Red Sea and whether we're in Sinai or in Arabia whatever that is the issue they're standing. the commands given to move into the water and all the Israelites are hesitating because they don't want to be the first to jump into the, into the sea and this guy named Nakshon, who was a prince of Judah um, sees what's happening and according to the rabbinic tradition he jumps in somebody's got to start so he jumps in and he's in water up to his neck it so says, at that moment Moses is standing and praying and God said to him, my beloved ones are drowning in the stormy seas and you're still standing and praying? Moses replied, master of the world, what am I to do? And God says, you lift your staff, spread your hand over the seas which will split and Israel will come into the sea by dry land. And so it was. And Nachshon's example, his faith, his trust in that kind of launched things along. Whether that's a true tradition or not, don't know. But the idea of of whatever faithfulness would have been in the midst of that I think is a powerful statement. The moment that happened that we hear about in this moment of time that is um, occurring is not one that was necessarily quiet and peaceful. In fact, some of the things in Scripture we find indicate that there was thunder and lightning going on. There's a portion of the Psalms that addresses it. and says how there's this thunder and lightning happening and uh, um, everything's kind of crashing around and in the middle of all of that, um, God's doing his action. It's in Psalm 77, I won't put it up, but in 77 it says, "'The waters saw you, God, the waters saw you and writhed. "'The very depths were convulsed. "'The clouds poured down water. "'The heavens resounded sounded with thunder. "'Your arrows flashed back and forth. "'Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. "'Your lightning lit up the world. "'The earth trembled and quaked. "'Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. We're supposed to follow, but we can't see your footprints. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so, this imagery that we have in most of the, the shows and the movies, we're suddenly this oh, the waters part, the sunlight comes out, and everyone goes walking across the thing. No, this indicates that this was a very scary, stormy, um, environment and, and they're coming through this in faith and trust and as they come through it, the water slashes back over those that were pursuing them. Now throughout the night, there's this cloud that, that shifts from in front and comes around behind and just the cloud stands between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And it says on the Israelite side there was light and on the other side facing those that were the Egyptians, there was darkness. And when we look at that, there's a symbolism, I think, that really is profound to take note of. The pillar was a source of darkness to the Egyptians. It was a source of light for the Israelites. The glory of God is captured in both salvation, light, and in judgment. We need to remember, in the midst of everything else, that the word of God has a dark side to sinners as does the gospel and even Jesus Christ. A lot of our world today wants to embrace Christ and the gospel and the scriptures, but only the light part, only the talks about love and acceptance and joy, like there's never a call for repentance. There's never a call for a line to be drawn. There's never a challenge to how we are. There is a dark element to this, and somewhere in the process we need to acknowledge it. As the Egyptians come up uh, and, and the waters parted, uh, the Israelites take place and move on. The cloud seems to have gone with them. Now the Egyptians can, can be released and they charge in right behind them. But as they charge in right behind them, at one point in time, it's lifted, God's grace. And we find that there's this flooding that suddenly comes in. Exodus chapter 14, verse 29 and 31. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their what? Trust Trust in Him. Moses, they put their trust in Him. They didn't go the short way. They went the long way. They didn't break free. They were brought back and part of a trap laid for Pharaoh. They have to trust God that the waters are parting. They go through that. And after this, their enemies are wiped out and destroyed. And In addition, think of this, all the advanced weaponry of the most advanced culture in the world is washing up on the shores now. They didn't have a sword amongst them, and now they're a fully equipped military force. There's something that came out of this moment that not only marked them as a people, but brought them into a relationship with God, a type of trust that they would never forget and that would establish something within them as a nation. This thing comes into play more and more in Israel's history. I want to draw your attention to a passage in Isaiah. The king of of Israel at this time, this is way down when the promised land they're established, the king of Israel is struggling between Assyria in the north, And his fears of him. And so he starts to form relationships and partnerships with, of all places, Egypt. And the prophet warns him against this in Isaiah chapter 31. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. He's warning him here in the NLT version it says this what sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help trusting their horses and chariots and charioteers and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord the Holy One of Israel. David later writes about this at one point in the Psalms in his own relationship with God it's developing. He says this, Now this I know, Psalm 20, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary and the victorious power of his right arm. And then this next line, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I want you to read that line. It's a little bold up here. I want you to read that with me together. Ready? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. This was a central mantra of David that has echoed through the church. This particular statement has come to mean something within Christianity. Why take the long road? Why not the short road? Because it's building trust. Why be still? Why stand instead of running in the moment? Because it's building trust. Why be careful and wary of political alliances and the military strength instead of placing it in God because it's about a question of trust. They trusted in chariots and horses instead of trusting in God and he's saying don't trust in these military political forces. What are you trusting in instead of God? What is your horse and your chariot? The church in America has gotten caught up in horses and chariots we're looking at this political figure or that political figure to be our messiah and i want to be very clear the messiah has already come his name was jesus christ we don't need to be looking for another one today we don't have horses and chariots maybe your horse and chariot is a donkey Or maybe it's an elephant. Are you following me on this? Either way, if you're putting your faith in a political figure, if you're putting your faith in the politics to render the situations correct, now don't get me wrong, I think we should all be involved politically. I think we should be engaged in applying the principles of the kingdom to where we go in those things. But if that's where your faith is at, if that's where your trust is at, if you're expecting that individual, if you're taking a spiritual patina and aura and applying that to a political figure, you're making a grave error. Some may trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That is the way of Christ. That is the way of the church. And I would say this, if you're doing elsewise, you're caught up in idolatry. Having said that, good time for me to remember and remind everyone, I read all emails, I respond to none, okay? (laughs) We trust in the Lord our God. And if that means that we take the long way home, then we take the long way home. And that when it's time to stop and camp and we're told to do that, we stop even if it looks like it's dangerous territory. And when it's time to get moving, we stop meditating or even praying and we take action because ultimately we trust in the Lord our God. It's all a question of trust, of who you will trust. Tim Keller died recently. Tim Keller's a pastor. I've had some regards for We wouldn't maybe agree on everything, but, but he's very good with handling the scripture he talked one time about a professor named addison leach that he had in college evidently and evidently two other young women were at this college and they were both bright and and intelligent and their respective parents wanted them to get master's degrees and then to go on and get careers but instead they both became christians doesn't mean you can't get a master's degree or go on but in this case their path got redirected and they both decided to instead to become missionaries their parents had a fit one of the mothers evidently called Dr. Leach, thinking that Dr. Leach was one of the reasons the girls had become, in the mother's words, quote, religious fanatics, rather than pursuing the course they had hoped, getting a career and having security. Instead, they were going to go wildly off into the blue, unquote. This mother said, quote, we wanted our daughter to get a master's degree, start a career, get something in the bank, so she could have some security, unquote. Dr. Leach responded this way. Please, just let me remind you of something we're all in a little ball of rock called earth and we're spinning along through space at zillions of miles per hour. Even if we don't run into anything and eventually we're all going to die, which means that every single one of us, underneath one of all of us, there's a trap door that's going to open one day and we're all going to fall off this ball of rock. And underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or absolutely nothing. So maybe we can get a masters degree to get some security but the biggest savings account in the world cannot stop cancer it can't stop traffic accidents you cannot stop broken hearts it can't give you anything any of the things that only God can give you he's the only significance you can have he's the only love you can get and can't lose kingdom of God is a question of trust who do you trust what are your horses and chariots I, I want to read two final things as we complete here today it's thought that Psalm 69 is possibly a, a nod to the moment of standing on the edge of the waters it's the writer saying save me O God for the flood waters are up to my neck Deeper and deeper, I sink into the mire and I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods, the seas overwhelming me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Do we, even in those moments, as the psalmist does, do we still stand? Do we still wait? Do we still trust in the Lord? If we do, there's another song that ultimately we can sing. And a friend of mine wrote me recently and said that this is his favorite part of the Prince of Egypt musical. As, as the, the victory's been won, as the, the washing out is done, as they're, they're, they're heading out, there's a song they begin to sing, and it starts with the children in Hebrew, and then it, it goes to the adults until finally everyone's singing, and we find this song in, in um, Exodus chapter 15. You can read the whole chapter if you want. I'd encourage you. But they, they've just won this great victory. Their enemy is dead. The problem is over. They now are, are weaponed and geared for the next step to go on in their journey. They now know that God is not a capricious God, but he's a God that they can have faith in, that he's, he's got fidelity. Later, they're going to refer to him as their rock. He's that solid and dependable. So Moses and, and Miriam, uh, a, a brother and sister duet, They kick it off in Exodus chapter 15. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and he has become my salvation. He is my God. This declaration, he is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him the long road home is still the best if God's guiding you. Being still when you want to run around and scream like crazy and still lean into Him. And then when there's that time to act, even if it means jumping into the deep end of the water, knowing that when everything is done, your God will still make a path for you And at the end, you're going to be better equipped than when you started. And there's a song that you can sing that he's now no longer the God of your forefathers. He is your God. And that he is someone who you can trust. This morning, whatever path you're on, whatever trap you feel you're in, whatever thing is taking place, we want to give you a little encouragement along the way. And maybe this time we can start to sing before the miracle and trust that the miracle will be there. So it's a question of trust. What are your horses and chariots? Whom do you trust in? As we close here today, um, we have 14 of our team, of our people here who are going down as a medical missions team to our partners in Costa Rica with uh, Karina and Miguel Rojas as well as Stephen Kisa-Gill. And they leave this week, and so I'm going to ask if they'd come here and come across the front, please, quickly. Um, they're taking time off of their work. They're taking their vacation time and, and a lot of their own expense. And um, we have some docs, some nurses, and um, nurse practitioners and others who are going on down. And they're going to be working in the barrios and in some very difficult areas, some very challenging places in Costa Rica. Um, they've been hit hard by the immigration crisis themselves. A lot of Venezuelans and other ones have found themselves there. and. And so this is what they're going to be doing this week. And I'm going to ask if you're friends or family or you would just like to come forward this time, just lay hands on these people here. We're just going to pray over them as we conclude your day. There'll be some people that'll be up here afterwards if you personally need prayer yourself. And they'll be standing here probably afterwards and you can come to them. But we just want to lay hands on them, bless them. Again, our thanks for those of you who have financially particularly supported this endeavor. Um, But we just want to pray over them as they go on down. Uh, for both protection and a spirit of ministry. So let's gather. Father, I thank you for these individuals that are willing to take their time, their space, that in humility are stepping out to minister to the least of these, to individuals who in many cases um, we have seen down there have literally nothing, dirt floors, uh, corrugated metal for a roof, if they're lucky, uh, some tents. And so, Father, I pray, first of all, your protection upon each one of these. I pray that you give a, a wisdom and discernment Perceive situations and circumstances and to minister your grace. We pray for the Rojases and for um, the Gills um, as they stay down there and for the church, specifically that, that Miguel and Karina pastor, that you'd encourage and that this would be an encouragement to that church, that local body. But right now, Father, we pray just particularly protection upon them. Bring them home safely and let their ministry be effective. We dedicate them to you, we commit them to you in trust. And we give you thanks, Lord, that we are able to be a country that can do this instead of being on the receiving end that we can send. So guide them in this endeavor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.